with your church family. Acts 21, and we're going to read from verse 37 down to the end of the chapter. And then the sermon this evening will be from the 37th verse of chapter 21 all the way through the last verse of chapter 22. Verse by verse, we'll look at that passage together. But let's stand together, if you're able to, for the reading of God's Word. Acts 21, 37 through 40. The Bible says, And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee, who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Art not, art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar, and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with his hand unto the people. And when, they, uh, and when, and when there was a, made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, and we'll look at chapter 22 and what he said here shortly. The title of the sermon this evening is this, Wisdom in Our Words. Wisdom in Our Words. Paul here is going to work his way through a whole lot of problems. He is just ensnarled and trapped in a horrible spot. He has uh, people of various cultures who are angry at him. He has uh, different, uh, uh, different, all kinds of different things going on. And God is going to use his tongue to help Paul guide his way through a precarious situation. And by the time it's over, he will have witnessed to an angry murderous, uh, a, a mob that's in a murderous rage, and even given them the gospel right after they tried to kill him. And I know that I want to be a man who is wise with my words. Amen? Life throws all kinds of difficult problems our way, and we need to make sure that we use our words in a way that are wise. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for the Bible again, how applicable and practical it is to the day-to-day Life And help us this evening as we look at this story of Paul to take away some uh, practical advice and wisdom on how we can better use our tongue uh, to please you in every environment that we're in. Be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 25.11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold. In pictures of silver. What a beautiful picture he paints there. The tongue and what comes off of it can either tear down or build up. Sometimes life and death hang in the balance depending on what we say. Again, Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The tongue is a difficult thing to corral. Is it not? In fact, of all of our fleshly bodily parts, it is the most difficult one to wrangle. James chapter 3. James says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and also able to bridle the whole body. The tongue can either be a great tool that we use to build up and further the work of God's kingdom, or it can be a weapon used to tear down and destroy. I have here in my hands a hammer. Hammers come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. This one is a 16-ounce hammer. You say, well, Pastor, you say that like you know what you're talking about. It's written right there on the handle. Amen. I have no idea, really. I just know that if I swing it real hard, I can either use it to build things or I can use it to tear things down. Right? Um, uh, we've just moved into the house next door. Guess what I've been doing a lot of lately? Hanging pictures on the wall. Right? And uh, I'll be hanging a lot more pictures on the wall in the weeks and months to come. And so um, while I'm holding that hammer and I'm putting that nail into that wall um, uh, on the drywall portions, there's a lot of plaster over there, but in the drywall portions where I'm putting a nail into a wall or a nail into a board, 
as long as I'm hitting the head of that nail and I'm hitting with purpose, uh, boy, I'm, I'm building, I'm edifying, I'm helping. But if I lose my temper and I just start swinging this at the wall and I start banging the wall and I start throwing this around at windows, this tool that is used to build and construct can be used to tear down and destruct. The tongue is the same way as this hammer. The tongue can either be used to construct and build or it can be used to tear down and destroy. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by a situation and you didn't know what to say right off the cuff? You know, you get thrown into a, just a, a, a storm. Maybe someone's really upset with you and it catches you off guard, right? And you're having a great day and all of a sudden, wham! Someone just is angry at you. You had no idea they were angry at you. And the next thing you know, they're just pouring rage all over you. How many of you ever had that happen? Walk into work and, man, you're whistling, right? Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day, my, oh, my, what a wonderful, whatever the song is. And I preached against Disney this morning, and I'm singing the song tonight in church. Um, <laughs> hypocrite. Uh, and so you're, you know, you're, you're having a great day. You show up at work, and all of a sudden the boss comes in your office and just, you had no idea this was coming. You had no idea. He just lays you out. Maybe you come home, and a child or a spouse is upset with you, and uh, maybe you uh, walk into a, 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 a difficult, tumultuous area and you know you need to say something, but uh, you're so caught off guard by this that you just don't know quite what to say off the cuff. And, and, and you feel as though you don't have the proper words to even convey how you feel in that given situation. Or maybe you have uh, said the wrong thing and wish you had just kept your mouth shut. And said nothing at all. The old phrase is, it's better to let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Right? Paul had gotten himself into a bad spot. No doing of his own. Nothing he had done wrong on purpose. But he had gone into the temple to appease the Jewish Christians and to prove to them that he still had respect for the laws of Moses. And while in there, Orthodox Jews from Ephesus identified him, grabbed him, stirred up the crowd against him, and before the Roman guards came in to save him, the raucous crowd were well on their way to having him killed. Picture Paul there being drug out in the courtyard of prayer and thrown on the ground, and they were kicking him in the ribs. They were kicking him in the head. They were spitting on him. They were pulling his clothes. They were yelling at him. and uh, He's just there minding his own business. And the next thing you know, they're trying to have him killed. Many of us would have done well to get out of there with our lives, much less thrive and prosper by using our tongues to better the situation and witness to the very people who are trying to kill us. Uh, you know, I, wow, the fact that he was able to get them to hush and stand still and be quiet after they're trying to beat his head in, and now they're sitting there listening to him give the gospel. I, 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 you know, I know what the story says. I'm still not really quite sure how he pulled that off. And that's exactly what Paul did. God gave him words of wisdom. With his speech, he was able to convince the Roman guards to let him speak to the crowd as they thought he was a criminal. Uh, he was able to calm the bloodthirsty crowd and speak to them. He was able to give them the gospel by way of his testimony and take the Roman guard, talk the Roman guards out of beating him and potentially killing him uh, with that cat of nine tails and that scourging. As we navigate our secular God-denying culture, we need Christians who speak to the lost with words of wisdom. As we navigate our family lives and deal with rubs and tense situations, we need words of wisdom. How many of you here have ever had uh, walked, walked into your home and the other one was grouchy and edgy and uh, upset and unkind and uh, you said the wrong thing and it just made the situation worse? Right? You know what I'm talking about tonight? Y'all stop pretending like your spouses are perfect, all right? I, I know. All right, I know how it is. Um, as we navigate our family lives, we need God's wisdom. As we navigate our workplaces and we put our Christianity on display and our coworkers are seeing us under stress and 
dealing with uh, uh, hardships at work, boy, we need words of wisdom because you know the second you say something out of line or you curse or you do something wrong and you've put your Christianity on display, you're complaining, whatever it is, they're going to throw that right back in your face. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, you're a Christian, what are you doing? Oh, you're a Christian, why are you talking like that? Oh, you're a Christian, why are you complaining? Oh, you're a Christian, why are you running him down? We need words of wisdom. As we run our ministries and teach our classes and help in the nurseries and teach a master's club or junior church or teen church or a bus route or teach in a life group or encourage the downtrodden and struggling, we need words of wisdom. We need words of wisdom. Uh, I thank God that after five years of being a pastor, there are very few situations where I'm left speechless and I don't know what to say. But boy, early on in church work and church ministry, I'd get on the phone with someone who was going through a very difficult time and sometimes I just didn't have any any words. I didn't know what to say. What do you say to a, a Rosemarie whose mom passed and she's grieving and heartbroken? What do you say to a brother whose child just died in his arms? What do you say when someone finds out that they're daughter in their 20s suddenly passes away. What do you say when parents are heartbroken over a child who's gone wayward? What do you say? And Fill in the blank. And Listen, um, sometimes the best thing to say is nothing at all. Sometimes the best thing to do is just be there for people. Let them know you're there for them. Sometimes the best words of wisdom you can have are just to keep your mouth shut. There are other times where God wants to use your, your mouthpiece. Your tongue is His mouthpiece. and He wants to help them. I'm thankful for James chapter 1, verse 5. It's a common verse and a popular verse and a well-quoted verse because it's a verse that we need to be reminded of regularly. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and, he, and it shall be given him. Aren't you glad that when you don't know what to say, you can turn to God and He'll give you that wisdom? Most mornings, if not every morning, when I'm in the process of getting ready for work, at some point in that process of getting ready, I will pray this prayer. I will say, Lord, I do not know what I'm going to encounter today, but You do. I do not know what wisdom... I'm going to need from you today, but you do. Would you give me your wisdom to know how to handle every situation that is put before me? Would you help me know exactly what to say to those that you send my and put in my path? I believe that no matter how tense or difficult a situation may become, God can give you words of wisdom to guide you so that you can be a witness on His behalf. And you can bring glory and honor to His name. We're going to look closely at five thoughts as we see the tongue at work here in Acts 21 and 22 as we consider this title, Wisdom in Our Words. Let's jump into the outline tonight. Notice number one, notice Paul's tact. Paul's tact. Now remember, Paul has just been kicked in the head. He's been beaten Uh, possibly he's coughing up blood. At the least, he's bruised and bloodied. Again, the crowd drug him out of the temple into the courtyard. Uh, Earlier in Acts 21, the Bible tells us their intent was to kill him. The Roman guards come running down and, and they call off the dogs off of Paul, but they're not exactly gentle with him. They put chains around his hands and probably grab the middle of those chains and yank him up off the ground. And now they're dragging him across the courtyard, trying to figure out what's going there, walking him up the steps. Paul is being kicked and pushed and bloodied and bludgeoned. And Paul still has his wit and his wherewithal to use tact in his speech. Look back at verse 37. It says, And as Paul was to be led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Uh, who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Uh, art not thou that Egyptian which before these days made an uproar and led us out into the wilderness four thousand men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus, 
a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with a hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the, in the Hebrew tongue, saying. So as I laid out yesterday, there was a castle right on the other side of the wall that went around the courtyard of the temple. And there were stairs that came out of that castle and came down into the courtyard. And so Paul is standing up against the courtyard wall on the staircase. He's being taken up the staircase up the wall where he'll be led around the outside of the temple area there and into the Roman castle. And he's halfway up the stairs and he, he, he begins to ask the Roman guard in Greek in the Roman guard's native tongue he articulates perfectly and he's polite and he says may I speak unto thee may I speak unto thee this guy was caught off guard he had uh, uh, he he must have surmised and and come to the quick conclusion that Paul was some rebel rousing Egyptian history books tell us that there was an Egyptian group that uh, they would go into a large crowd they would pull a knife, they would stab someone and then slip away without being caught. And uh, there were groups of these men who would, were anti-Semitic and uh, they were Egyptian and they would stab and run and stab and run. And, 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 and there was one man who seemed to be the ringleader of them all. And many people believe that the Roman guard thought that Paul was the ringleader of this Egyptian band. And they had, uh, uh, in the confusion of the moment, they thought the reason why the Jewish people had drug this guy out to kill him was they finally had caught the ringleader who was uh, hurting them and wounding them and injuring them. And so they had drawn a conclusion incorrectly. And Paul shocks all of them when he speaks in perfect, fluent Greek and says politely, Can I speak to you? And the man stops and he says, Canst thou speak Greek? He is shocked at Paul being uh, fluent in Greek. He is shocked at Paul's politeness. He is shocked at Paul's ability to take this nasty situation and be polite. And some people, uh, uh, some people have a tell it like it is style. They, they like to tell it like it is uh, type. And when Pastor Lejeune gets up here on a sunny morning and he's just preaching against everything, as I weigh this morning, some people are like, yeah, Pastor, you tell him, Pastor. Unless I'm preaching on what you are struggling with, you know, then you don't want me to tell it like it is. But, you know, Paul had a tell it like it is preaching style at times, but Paul also knew how to be tactful and polite and careful to everyone around him. Let me just say that some people uh, walk around and you can look at their body language and you can look at their face and you can look at their lack of eye contact and you can look at their tone and you can just tell by the way they talk to you that either they have a problem with life or they have a problem with you. God does not call Christians to walk around like that. We are to be polite and kind. And listen, we are not to wear our feelings on our sleeve. God has called us to show the love of Jesus in the way we walk, in the way we talk, in the way we communicate. Do you know that if you go to a church this size, there's going to end up being somebody that you don't like eventually? You say, well, I haven't found that person yet. Well, you may be God's gift to hospitality and, and congeniality, but stick around long enough and somebody you're not going to like a whole lot. Probably. And you know what? You're even called to be polite and sweet and kind to them. Here these Roman guards were taking Paul up in a way that was rough and gruff, and Paul took the time to be tactful. I think of Colossians 4, 6, where Paul told the church at Colossae, he said, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know, uh, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Every man. That means your friends. That means your enemies. That means that share your viewpoints in life. That means those that don't share your viewpoints in life. Uh, we are to have our speech always with grace, seasoned with salt. Always with grace, seasoned with salt. There ought to be a politeness to how we speak. There ought to be a politeness to how we behave. Listen, you're in a store and a clerk isn't giving you your way. There's no room for you to call them names or uh, uh, belittle them or berate them. You are a Christian at church and you are a Christian at Walmart. You are a Christian at church you are a Christian with that waiter or waitress at the restaurant. 
You are a Christian at church. You're to be a Christian at, uh, at, uh, at the grocery store. When someone cuts you off and takes the last box of Lucky Charms that you wanted off the shelf. You're to be a Christian. You're to be polite. You're to represent Christ. You're not to lose your temper and start yelling at people and being mean to people. There's never a place for that. There's just not. Here Paul is being bludgeoned and beaten, and he still has the wherewithal to be polite to his captors. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Number one, we see Paul's tact. Number two, we see Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony. Notice letter A. He spoke with relatability. He spoke with relatability. Now, I find this amazing. This crowd is angry. They want to kill him. They're in a temperous, murderous rage. But Paul asks, can I address this crowd? Talking about a tough crowd. I've spoken to some crowds that I felt like didn't want to listen to me. Um, I've been up here sometimes on a Wednesday evening when there are only a handful of people around and I felt like I was boring everybody to tears and I'm looking and people are sleeping and even some people are snoring in church and, and then I've got other people who look like they just want me to shut up and sit down and, and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be up here right now. I feel like I'm wasting my time and that doesn't happen often but it's happened a handful of times in five years and, and I can't imagine preaching to a crowd or speaking to a crowd that 30 seconds ago was trying to kick your head in. 30 seconds ago, we're, we're crying away with him, away with him, telling the Roman guards, take him out back and, and crucify him. And now Paul wants to not only speak to them, he wants to witness to them. How did he do that? Well, he spoke with relatability. Now, we're going to read from verse 1 down through verse 5, but after each verse or so, I'm going to stop and, and give you some commentary on the verses. Look at verse 1. Look here. And, and see how he's seeking to be relatable as he witnesses, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I made, uh, which I make now unto you. Now he met the angry crowd with a soft tongue. He says, "Men, brethren, and fathers." Now, while the crowd was trying to dehumanize him, which, by the way, in order to kill a human being in your own mind, you have to dehumanize that person before you can go through with the murder. They were trying to dehumanize him so they could kill him. And he stands on these steps and he is humanizing them. He says, men, brethren, fathers, what is he doing? He is using the principle laid out in Proverbs 15.1, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. He's standing up there and he's saying, you are my brethren. You are like fathers to me. Look at verse 2. We'll see more of the relatability. It says, And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept the more silence, and uh, he saith. Okay, again, uh, speech that is relatable. He did not speak to them in Greek. Most of them would have spoken Greek. They would have learned it in school. They would have learned it as uh, they were under the Roman government. They would have had to have known how to speak Greek. He could have, he just got through speaking Greek to the Roman guard. He could have continued in Greek so that both the Roman guard understood and the crowd understood, but instead he switched over to a dialect, a tongue, a language that had been learned at their mother's knee. And he spoke to them in a way that was relatable to them. Uh, listen, when I go off in Spanish every Sunday morning or most Sunday mornings and I'm inviting our Spanish church out into that other area, and I'm speaking in Spanish, I'm not doing that to be a show-off. I'm not doing that so everyone thinks, oh, wow, look at him. He speaks a second language. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing that so that those in the crowd who speak Spanish will feel more comfortable going out because there is a, there is a, a, a truth, a psychology, that when you hear your native natural language spoken, you feel warm, accepted, and more comfortable. And that's exactly what Paul was doing here. He was using the language they had learned at their mother's knee and he was conveying a message that was aimed at their heart with the language that was most comfortable to their heart. He is working to be 
relatable. He switches over to Hebrew. He's speaking to them in a language that they would have been comfortable with. Look at verse number 3. It says, I am verily a man which am a Jew. Again, look at the relatability here with me. Born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God, as ye are all this day. He identified himself as a Hellenistic Jew or a Jew of the dispersion, meaning he had been born outside of Jerusalem. And there are no doubt uh, at the time of Passover in that crowd were Jews from outside of Jerusalem. And so he's relating with the Jews outside of Jerusalem. But then he's relating with the Jews inside of Jerusalem. He said, I was born outside of Jerusalem. I'm a Jew of the dispersion outside of Jerusalem. But then I was brought here and I was trained here. And so, yes, I can relate with you Jews that were born outside of the city and I can relate with the Jews that were raised here in Jerusalem. He is identifying with both the Hellenistic Jews and with the, uh, he, the, the let me see here, he, he, I have a hard time with this word, Hebraist Jews. The Hebraist Jews, what is he doing? He is connecting himself, relating himself in every way possible. Then you look back at verse 3, he mentions Gamaliel. Now Gamaliel was the greatest teacher of that day and a disciple of the illustrious and gentle Hillel, one of the leading rabbis of the age. Gamaliel was well known in Jerusalem, watch this now, as a moderate who favored tolerance, not violence in dealing with opposing factions in the country. So what is he doing? He's appealing to their sane, sensible side. These Jews want to kill him, but they all respect Gamaliel. And by throwing out the name Gamaliel, he's saying, yes, I know because I learned under Gamaliel who has taught you not to do to me what you're doing to me. Now, that's not what he said, but that's what he was saying here. And so he's seeking to relate to them. He's seeking to calm them down. Paul was telling this angry crowd that he himself was a trained rabbi, a man schooled in the law and in in, in, in interpretation of the law. Also, he was conveying to them that he was zealous and like them, eager to serve the God of the fathers according to the law and according to the tradition and teachings of the elders. So he is meeting the crowd where they are. He's meeting the crowd where they are. Please understand that when you are witnessing to someone, when you are talking to someone, you must meet them where they are. Look at verse number 4. It says, And I persecuted this way into the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest doth bear me witness, and all the estate of the elders, from whom also I received letters unto the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring them which were there bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. Now before they took off his head, he wanted them to know that at one point he had been more zealous at persecuting the church than even they were right now at this very moment. What is Paul doing here? He is humanizing himself. And he's showing an understanding heart toward his audience. He is seeking relatability. God had given him great wisdom in his words. Look down at verse 19. Verse number 19 and 20. Paul says, And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consenting unto his death and kept the raiment of them that slew him. He's telling this crowd, look, I have imprisoned people. I have beat people. I was there. I oversaw. I was the leading uh, uh, zealot of the Jews. When Stephen was killed, the coats were laid at my feet. I gave permission for Mar- uh, Stephen to be killed or martyred. And, and, and Paul is saying to this crowd, I get where you're coming from. I understand your anger. I understand your rage. Please let me hear you. Listen. Listen to this. Listen to this. What was Paul doing here? He was winning the crowd to himself before he attempted to win them to Christ. He was winning the crowd to himself before he attempted to win them to Christ. Now, uh, I want to be clear that winning them to Christ is the ultimate goal. Not winning them to us, winning them to Christ. But people need to know that you care about them before they'll listen to you tell them that Christ cares about them. Take the time to get to know them. Take the time to get to know them. I thank God any time... I'm put in a, 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 a close space with the stranger for an hour or two. Airplane rides and 
mechanic shops and uh, whatever uh, uh, situation I can be in because it gives me a chance to get to know them and get to know their personality and get to know their upbringing and get to know their struggles at least the best I can. And I can understand them and I can seek to relate to them. And I'm not going to make up ways to relate with them, but where I can relate with them, I will. And then once they have been convinced that I am a regular, normal guy, I can then share them the message of Jesus Christ. So important. So important. Listen, uh, when, uh, to the soul winners in the room today, when you go out door-to-door soul winning and you're meeting people, uh, seek to win them to yourself. What do I mean by that? Talk to them about normal things. Talk to them about their family. Talk to them uh, about that car in the driveway. Talk to them about their job. Talk to them about their grandchildren. Talk to them about whatever it is that you can talk to them about. Get to know them a little bit first and then jump into the gospel and seek to win them to Christ. He spoke with relatability. God gave him words of wisdom. He didn't start right with uh, uh, the wages of sin is death. He didn't start right with because you're wicked sinners, you're going to hell. He started with, let me uh, relate with you. I know where you're coming from. He spoke with relatability. Letter B, he spoke of redemption. He spoke of redemption. Now look at verse 6 and look at verse number, uh, we'll read down through 18. Now I'm not going to uh, pause. I'm just going to read straight through unless I feel the need to make comment. The goal is going to be to read straight through. And then we'll, 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 we'll see in this passage how that while Paul is talking about himself, he's highlighting the redempt, redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul lays out his testimony. Verse 6, And it came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh unto Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell into the ground and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told of thee of all the things which are appointed for thee to do. And when I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came in to Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews, which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what uh, thou hast seen and heard. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance, and saw him saying unto me, Make haste, and, and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. Paul quickly turned the attention of the audience to the powerful story of how Jesus had saved him. How that God had changed him into the man that he now was. And so what did he do here? He started out being relatable with the crowd. I understand why you're acting this way. I understand where you're coming from. I too once was like you. And uh, uh, let me share with you what happened. And what was his message? His message was that I was walking down a path of unrighteousness. I was walking on a path of killing and murder and God sent a light out of heaven and that light changed my life. Isn't that the message that we want to share with anyone and everyone that will listen? I once was walking down a path of sin and and, and destruction and, and I was involved in things that were unrighteous and wicked and God shone His light of salvation into my heart and I got saved. I share this when I'm uh, uh, teaching the soul winning class on Saturday mornings. And so some of you have heard me say this many times. But boy, it bears repeating to the church at large. Uh, listen, when you give your testimony, do not glorify uh, your past. Don't Look, you don't need to drag people through the mire of all of the sin you were in prior to being saved. You don't need to talk about drugs and sex and all those things. They don't need to hear all that, right? Be generic. Before I got saved, my life was a mess. That's fine. You don't need to go in great detail about how you got drunk one time and in a stupor and, and vomited on yourself. Nobody needs to hear any of that, amen? They just don't need to hear that. They don't need to talk about how, how off the rail 
rails your life was. Listen, uh, watch this now. Watch my hand gestures. When you give your testimony, you want to talk a little bit about yourself before you got saved. You want to talk a lot about what Jesus did to save you. And then you want to talk a little bit about yourself on the back end, about how your life is better now that you are saved. So again, a little bit about you, a whole lot about how Jesus saved you, and then a little bit about you. I've been out soul with people that gave their testimony, and it was the opposite. That was, man, my life was terrible. And they'll go on for five minutes talking about how terrible of a person they are, and then they'll make this one statement. They'll say this. They'll say, and then I got saved. And that's it. And then they go on and talk about how great of a person that they are now that they got saved. And you're like, man, you were the most awesome human being walking planet Earth. I mean, you got saved. I mean, you're basically the perfect saint. Uh, I'm graced to even be in your presence. Don't give your testimony like that. You all right this evening? That was supposed to be funny. You all just stared at me like, okay, yeah, pastor. All right. Um, uh, make a whole lot about Jesus. And Paul here is relatable with the crowd, and then he gives his story with the redemption of Christ being at the centerpiece. Listen, I still marvel at the story that Paul was able to share the gospel with a crowd that moments before were trying to kill him. And number one, we see Paul's tact. Number two, Paul's testimony. Notice number three, the crowd's temper. Look at verse number 21. Verse 21, we're finishing up Paul's message here. Look at verse 21, the Bible says, and he, uh, and he said unto me, or Jesus said unto me, in fact, if you have a Bible with words in red, the next part of 20, uh, verse number 21 will be in red. Here's the voice of Jesus, depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. Now pause right there. I mean, we'll read the 22 and 23 in a minute. The crowd, Paul had them in the palm of his hand. They're hushed. They're listening to him. They're listening to the story of how he met Jesus on the road and, and how his, his whole life was changed. And, and they're, they're in. They're hanging in there. They're listening to him. But he said one word that totally derailed everything. What was the word? The word was Gentiles. As soon as he said the word Gentiles, they were done. Look at verse 22. That was the last word Paul was able to muster out was the word Gentiles. It says, and they gave him audience unto this word, the word Gentiles, and then lifted up their voice and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. And as they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust into the air, Boy, can you see this? They're angry at him. He said, God called me, and through a vision, God called me and sent me to the Gentiles. And oh man, they did not like that. You remember the accusation? The accusation in the temple that got them so worked up was that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple. And so to them, when he said that he had been sent to the Gentiles, they drew a conclusion then it must be true. He was sent to the Gentiles and he's bringing those dirty Gentile dogs into our temple. How dare Paul? This was their attitude. How dare Paul take our high pedigree religion that's meant for us exclusive Jews to those lowly, filthy, disgusting Gentile dogs? And they just couldn't, they could not stand the thought that Paul would take Jehovah God and, and, and turn that religion into something for the Jews. Now, these uh, Jews did not read the writings of Solomon very well, where Solomon in his great prayer in the book of Chronicles, 2 Chronicles invited the Gentiles to come into the courtyard of prayer and to convert to Judaism. They didn't want that. They didn't care about that. Why were they so temperous? Why were they so angry? Well, in a word, because they were racist. He said the word Gentiles. That was a hot-button word. And they just weren't going to tolerate the gospel going or any news of Jehovah going to the Gentiles. And so as soon as Paul said that, they were done with him, and now they're taking off their clothes. They're taking handfuls of dirt, and they're throwing it toward him in the air. You say, well, why didn't they throw rocks? Well, they were smarter than that, because to throw a rock at Paul may have meant they would have hit one of the Roman guards, and that wouldn't have ended well for them. So they took handfuls of dirt and made the motion 
of throwing that at Paul as if to tell the Roman guards, we're done with this guy. He doesn't even deserve to live. He doesn't even deserve to breathe the air that we breathe. Kill him. Kill him. Paul take, took an angry crowd, calmed them down, and witnessed to them. And listen, at the end of the day, all you can do is witness to somebody. If they reject your message and they get angry at you, all you at the end of the day, all you can be held responsible for is your witness. God had given Paul incredible words of wisdom, tact with the Roman guard, and now uh, tact and uh, relatability and a message of redemption to uh, the, the, the Hebrew mob below. And now the crowd has lost their temper and uh, uh, now uh, the th- things are going to turn against Paul once again. Number four, notice Paul's title. Paul's title. Letter A, notice the grievous rebuke. The grievous rebuke. Look at verse number 24. Acts 22, verse 24. The Bible says, The chief captain commanded him to be brought into the castle and bade that he should be examined by scourging, that he might know wherefore they cried so against him. Now, let's just pause for a moment and let's just try to look at this whole situation through the eyes of the Roman guard. Okay, um, Paul, they, there's a, a violent rebellion, an uprising in the courtyard. Okay, they send the centurions down into the courtyard to break things up. They take and they put chains on Paul and they get him roughly, they get him up and there are people who are yelling and screaming and spitting in Paul's direction. And, and the Roman guards ask, who is this guy? And and, and, and there's this confusion, right? And, 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 and yelling and, and accusations. and it, it, It's just not clear what's going on. And so they begin to walk Paul uh, up the stairs of the castle. And Paul politely and, and with great culture says, Can I speak to the crowd? But he does so in their language. And, and he convinces them to let him do it. And then, in astonishment, these Roman guards stand there while Paul stands on the steps, switches from Greek to Hebrew, and begins to address this crowd in a way they don't understand a word that's coming out of his mouth. And they're standing there with their mouth gaped open. 30 seconds ago, two minutes ago, they were trying to kill this guy and now he has them in the palm of his hand. They don't have a clue what's going on. Now there may have been a Roman guard or two there that understood Hebrew, but based on what I read in verse 24, they didn't understand what Paul said or they wouldn't have needed to examine him. And then all of a sudden, Paul's speaking to them and they're listening. And in just, just like that, the crowd turns and they start throwing dirt at Paul. And they're ripping their clothes off. And they're shouting in Greek to the Roman guards, this guy should die. Man, you're talking about an impossible situation for the Roman guards. They did not know what to do. They did not know how to handle him. And so they did what they did well. And they ordered to have Paul chained up and scourged and beaten. Now, understand that this wasn't, you know, taking a rod and striking him across the back. This was a cat of nine tail, the way they beat Jesus type beating. This was a full-blown scourging. Now, Paul was willing to suffer for the name of Christ, but not unnecessarily. And so Paul is going to pull out his title of Roman citizen And use that in his favor. And let me just quickly interject here. Christian, we're called to be persecuted for the name of Christ. But where you have civil civil liberties, you should very well stand on those civil liberties. God is not expecting anyone here to be beaten or to take persecution unnecessarily. Where you can stand on your civil liberties. Boy, you better do so. Look at letter B. We see Paul's gracious response. Look at verse 25. And as they bound him with thongs, so they're preparing to beat him. They're getting him locked into the, the thongs there. The, 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 the centurion with the cat of nine tails is getting things ready. And they're setting up the torture chamber to beat Paul. They're locking him in. Paul said unto the centurion that stood by, Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is a Roman and uncondemned? Now, when we study the Bible, there, there, is the, there is the obvious, and then there is things that maybe are a little more obscure. And what, what I'm, what I'm going to point out here, for some may be obvious, and for others may be obscure. Um, Paul decided uh, 
to, to tell the Roman guard that he indeed is a Roman citizen, but instead of yelling at them and rebuking them, he, he turns and asks an unassuming question he already knew the answer to. Right? They're locking his hands in instead of saying, Don't you know who I am? I'm a Roman citizen. You have no right to beat me. What are you doing? Instead, he remains his spirit of being polite, and he looks and he asks them an unassuming question. Hey, is it lawful for you to scourge an uncondemned Roman citizen? You see how polite he's being to his captors? You see how polite he's being when they're being rough and gruff with him? He's being polite. He's treating them with kindness. He's treating them with care. He's not forgotten who he is in Christ. He is gentle with them even though they are not being gentle back. His speech is with grace. It is seasoned with salt. He's taking hostile people and he's showing a kind and gracious spirit with kind and gracious words. Uh, proper and carefully worded questions are a great way to disarm any tense situations. Um, let me just say here that oftentimes when uh, we're in the presence of an angry person, it is natural to be angry back. I mean, you know what I'm talking about tonight? You have someone who gets angry at you, Right? The natural fleshly response is when people throw gasoline at fire, and it's your fire to throw gasoline back at their fire. All right? All the married people in the room know what I'm talking about tonight. Okay, I know that. But if you're employed here, you probably know what I'm talking about. You've had some tense situations at work. At some point, somewhere you've worked, it's natural to throw fire back at fire. Gasoline back at uh, fire when someone's thrown gasoline at your fire. Watch this. It is a Christian discipline that when someone gets angry at you, the angrier they get, the calmer and softer and, and more careful your response becomes. Well, that's how you disarm a situation. That's how you take things down a notch. It's not by getting angry back. You don't want to match a shouting match with a shouting match. You want to match, you want to bring water to a fire, not gasoline to a fire. And here they're getting ready to beat Paul to figure out who he is. And Paul does not turn around and start yelling and demanding things. No, Paul begins to just ask them questions. Recently I had a couple come to me for marriage advice. And uh, there were some rubs in their marriage. And I've given this advice to more than one couple. But uh, the advice I gave them was instead of demanding and telling and yelling, why don't we stop and start asking questions? Let's just ask each other questions. Let's talk our way through this in a way that's calm and respectful. Uh, let, let's use questions uh, to get out the answers and understand where the other one's coming from. There's a phrase in our marriage, uh, uh, Angel and I, in our marriage, that we both have adopted and we use with regularity that has greatly helped our, ma- our marriage. And here is the phrase, help me understand where you're coming from. Can you help me understand where you're coming from? I've learned in marriage that there's a male perspective and a female perspective to just about everything. And I'm not going to become a woman in order to understand my wife. But I can, at any moment, ask her to help me understand where she's coming from. You're in a tense situation, whether that's at work or that's at, uh, in your home. Uh, that's with an estranged uh, family member who... Uh, is angry at you, learn to ask careful questions that are respectful of the other person. Ask God to give you wisdom and offer a gracious response. Let's finish out the message this morning. Notice number five, the Romans' trepidation. The Romans' trepidation. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, When the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, saying, Take heed what thou doest, for this man is a Roman. Then the chief captain came and said to him, Tell me, Art thou a Roman? And he said, Yea. And the chief captain answered, With a great sum obtained I this freedom. And Paul said, But I was born free. So the guard looks at him and says, How are you a Roman? I paid a great deal of money myself to become a Roman. How are you a Roman? And Paul said, I didn't pay any money. My family was born free. Now, many... uh, 
people believe that Paul's family must have done something favorable toward the Roman kingdom, and they were granted this prior to Paul's birth. We don't exactly know how or, or why, but Paul was born a Jew, but born with Roman favor and Roman citizenship and was able to provide proof that he was. Look at verse number 29. Uh, then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined him, and the chief captain also was afraid. After he knew that he was a Roman, and because he had bound him, on the morrow, because he would have known the uh, certainty, wherefore he was accused of the Jews, he loosed him from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Next week we'll get into chapter 23 and we'll see uh, Paul answering to the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and Sadducees of the Sanhedrin. And uh, this was a Jewish matter and the Romans wanted it handled in a way that was Jewish, but what do we draw? Uh, we'll look at that next week. What do we draw from this? We drew, draw that they had no right to even put him in chains, much less attempt to scourge him. And they were fearful that Paul could turn around and now have them punished because of the way he had been handled. Paul did not do that. Paul was gracious toward them and knew that they were in an impossible situation, and he showed graciousness and kindness their direction. Let me ask you this this evening in closing. When you speak, do you speak with words of wisdom? Do your words construct or destruct? Listen to me now. Do you speak with anger and frustration or graciousness and kindness? Are people afraid to speak with you depending on what mood you happen to be in on any given day? Or do people understand that your spirit's generally gracious and filled with kindness and uplifting? Do you convey the love of God and the love you have for others when you speak? When people are nasty your direction, are you nasty back? Or have you learned how to show them the love of Christ by sharing with them Jesus and His salvation? When people walk away from you, do they think to themselves, that man, that woman, they love Jesus Christ. And you know what? They care about me. Or do they walk away and think, man, that is a foul-mouthed, angry individual. We need to ask God to give us words of wisdom no matter with whom we speak or what situation we deal with. I can speak for myself here at the conclusion. My tongue gets me in trouble from time to time. Our tongue, as James said, is very hard to bridle. We need to ask God to give us wisdom in our words. And ask God to help guide us in these ways. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, tonight we ask that you would work in our hearts. And Lord, help us to grow to a place that no matter how tumultuous the situation is, our Christian discipline would be such that what comes out of our mouth when it opens pleases you. It honors you. Lord, help us to be caring and kind with all that we say and do. Be with us tonight in this invitation. Spirit of God, work in each of our hearts. Reveal to us and show us where maybe our tongue has been out of line. And Lord, what we can do to be better in this area. In Jesus' name.